0: From St. Peter's Church on 54th and Lex in New York City, this is 54th and Text, St. Peter's Adult Education Podcast. Today we're talking about Exodus. Did it happen? Did it not happen? And how do we know? For the next five or six weeks, we're going to be talking about the book of Exodus, the book that inspired some of our greatest literature as well as some of our catchiest Bible camp songs. We'll spend some time looking at certain passages closely and then looking at broader themes. And we'll spend some time talking about how people have used the Exodus in constructing their own narratives. But to start off with, let's talk about history. A lot of times when we talk about events in the Bible, the first question we want to ask is, did it happen? Well, in the case of the Exodus, the short answer is, it's complicated. The longer answer is, it's really complicated. So let's talk about it. It's actually deceptively easy to get started. We're fortunate because we actually know quite a bit about ancient Egypt. We know who ruled and how long they ruled for. We have pretty decent records of that stuff. So all you'd have to do was see who the pharaohs were, and then you could narrow it down from there. But if you start looking through Exodus, you'll realize that the pharaohs aren't named. In the first chapter, when Moses is a baby, we're not told the pharaoh's name we're only told that he didn't know Joseph. And later, when Moses is an adult, we're not told that Pharaoh's name either. The Pharaoh's name is just Pharaoh. So that's not going to work. Another option is to look in everything from the Egyptian history to see if there's anything about the Israelites in there. And there's not a lot. There's no mention of Moses, but there is something interesting. In ancient Egypt, they had these things called stelae, And stelae were these big stone slabs that ancient cultures carved information into. They were kind of a mashup of a monument and a history book. And we actually have one of these from the Pharaoh Merneptah from the year 1208 BC. And it reads in part, The Canaan has been plundered into every sort of woe. Ascalon has been overcome. Gezer has been captured. Yanoam is made non-existent. Israel is laid waste and his seed is not. This stela is one of the first references we have to Israel outside of the Hebrew Bible. Those other names all describe places or cities, but Israel is used to describe a group of people. So what does that tell you? Well, let's start with figuring out what it doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us that the Exodus happened. Sometimes people will talk about this record and claim that it proves that the Exodus happened, which it really doesn't. But it does tell us that in the early 13th century, there was a group of people called Israel in Canaan, and the Egyptians were aware of them. So if there was some movement out of Egypt, it must have happened before that date. I'll make an aside here to say that a good rule of thumb for archaeology is that the more exciting a claim sounds, the more skeptical you should be. If you see something on CNN that someone found the tomb of Jesus' brother and it has Jesus' wife's picture on it, you should be skeptical. But information like what kind of towns Jesus grew up around, how much trade there was, what kind of people came through, that's actually really useful information, and it's the kind of information that archaeologists tell us. It's just not something you're going to see on cable news. Anyway, back to Exodus. Exodus. Another way you could try to see whether or not the exodus happened would be to try to check the archaeological records. The book of Exodus tells us that there were 600,000 Israelite men, not counting women and children. So let's assume everyone has a partner and a kid or two on average, and then we're up to 2 million people, which is a huge group of people. Imagine if everybody who lives in Brooklyn, over 2 million people, just got up and left and started walking through the Sinai Peninsula. It would show up in the archaeological record. You would know. But there's nothing. There's no archaeological record that backs up that exodus narrative. The fact is, there's no historical evidence that proves anything like the exodus happened, at least not as it's described in the Bible. So you might think, if there's no historical or archaeological evidence for this exodus of some 2 million people, then where did this story come from? It's an odd story to just make up. Well, remember earlier when I said it was complicated? Well, this is where it starts to get complicated. See, it's actually possible that there was an exodus, albeit a much smaller one. We're not talking about millions of people leaving Egypt overnight, but smaller groups of people escaping from Egypt and walking north towards Canaan. We don't have archaeological records of some mass exodus, But we do have records of people moving into small farming settlements in southern Canaan around 1200 BC. And these settlements were far simpler and rustic than their more established counterparts. We know there were Israelites living in the Canaanite hill country a couple of hundred years later. Were they the same people who started moving to those rural settlements? We can't say for sure, but it's quite possible. And if that's right... That would mean this migration out of Egypt happened sometime in the early 13th century, while Ramses II was pharaoh. It's not 2 million people walking through the parted Red Sea, but it's very possible. Now, it's not entirely fair to ask whether or not the Exodus happened, because Exodus isn't intended to be read as a literal history. Think for a second about how people write history today. There's an event. Just for an example, let's say the fall of the Berlin Wall. This event happens and then historians do research and write about what happens. So you'll have a bunch of different books about what happened and why it happened. And you'll probably have some books about what the fall of the Berlin Wall means. How does this historical event change what it means to be an American? How does it shape how we live today? If you think the fall of the Berlin Wall hasn't had an effect on how we talk about ourselves, then please come back and talk to me after next year's presidential primaries. Exodus is similar in a way, but it's also very different. Because instead of having a bunch of different books written by different authors, we have one book with at least three major sources going side by side. We have initials for them. The J source, which is for the Yahwist, the E for the Elohist, and the P for the Priestly. And they all have different ideas about what the Exodus means for Israel. They were written in different contexts and in different times, and these different priorities play out in different claims. For example, just think about the story of the burning bush. One of the major events of the burning bush, one of the reasons why it's so important, is that God reveals God's name to Moses. And the author makes it clear that nobody before Moses knew the name of God. But then if you go back to Genesis fifteen seven. You'll see God use the same name when talking to Abram. That's all to say there's no single history of the Exodus. There's at least three distinct views on it within Exodus itself. And that gets even more complicated when you account for the changes and evolution and the oral traditions that were handed down to these authors. As another example, think about the Passover feast. Every year at our Easter vigil, we read about the Passover feast. The Passover involves eating unleavened bread and slaughtering a lamb, and we think of that as one action, parts of one commemoration. But it was originally two. The unleavened bread came from one agrarian tradition where the first harvest was consumed without using any old leaven, and the sacrifice of a lamb was a separate act meant to increase fertility, two separate traditions that are combined in the Exodus narrative. What you have here are people embedding practices into an origin story to give them meaning. It's not just bread you eat, it's a reflection of who you are and who you belong to. It's a way of unifying and legitimizing diverse practices, and by all accounts, it was very successful. So did the exodus happen? Well, not as exodus would have you believe. No parting of the Red Sea, no two million people marching out of Egypt overnight, no frogs or gnats, but the fact that the exodus didn't happen by the book doesn't make it any less powerful or any less effective in building an identity. Exodus is hugely important for us to understand as Christians because it's hugely important to the formation of the Jewish identity. In some ways, we shouldn't ask whether the exodus happened, but ask how the effects of the exodus are still being felt today. Thanks for listening. We'll have a new podcast up next week. Our theme music is Opportunity Walks from Kevin MacLeod, licensed under a Creative Commons 3.0 license. We'll see you next week.